My daughter had some suggestions uh, as to how I could maybe start the sermon or incorporate it into the time together. This is a full house. And uh, commendations to you and your ministry here in Lloydminster. We are from Medicine Hat. I'm a chaplain at Chinook Village there. And uh, feel like that stint in ministry has been very rich and rewarding for us. So we've enjoyed it immensely. You know, it's almost 2024. Get used to it. Uh, I think I hear peace and quiet calling. And I know the kids are in here. Uh, this wasn't my idea. It came from somebody else in the family. But they said, you know, you should make everybody just be quiet for like, I don't know how long. And I thought, you know, that's not a bad idea for what I'm going to bring from the Word of God today, even with the kids here. And so uh, let's try 10 seconds, okay? Quiet for 10 seconds. No coughing, no nothing. That was awkward, wasn't it? <laughs> I tried that one time in a church in Castor where I had uh, farmers at the time calving and uh, their, their calves were coming fast and furious. I said, you know, we get so busy sometimes we just, you know, we need to tune into the Lord. And so coming to the church and everybody be quiet. You know, we're going to have a, a minute of just being quiet. So everyone was quiet more or less. And after that, after that service, one of the Charlet breeders comes up to me and he says, don't ever do that again, pastor. You almost lost me for the whole service, he said. <laughs> But it's almost 2024. I do think peace and quiet is calling, especially if you're living in some kind of a hornet's nest. Uh, a lot of stirring going on, a lot of buzzing, maybe some stinging. Um, maybe you're saying, well, no, I don't live in that kind of world. I'm like, kind of like the neighbor we had near Sundry. He had a sign on his, his gateway that said, this is a stress-free environment. I thought, wow, that's nice. I wish I could say the same. Um, maybe that's you, but I can assure you that it isn't the world that we're living in right now. Uh, whose propaganda are you buying into? Or who's shaping your convictions? Do you even know? Uh, you can. And that's where the pursuit of peace and quiet, pursuing God in peace and quiet comes in. For all the activity Jesus' public life and ministry produced for him, he still made it a priority to pursue his Father in peace and quiet. And so I'm going to suggest that pursuing peace, God in peace and quiet, restores the exhausted spirit. Pursuing God in peace and quiet restores the exhausted spirit. And I'm, I'm conscious of the fact that there are children here who, who uh, maybe infringe and encroach upon that silent space. And we need to somehow find a way early on to create the disciplines of sacred spaces into our days, into our weeks, into to our years. Jesus Christ, the scripture says, and we'll be reading from Mark chapter 1 in a few minutes. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. After a very hectic Sabbath day involving all kinds of spirit-exhausting situations, Jesus pursues his Father in peace and quiet. And this pursuit is recorded by the Gospel writer Mark. I'll be reading from chapter 1 in a few moments. 
According to Mark's gospel, Jesus' priority of pursuing peace and quiet appears to be established as a precedent early on in his very hectic public ministry. Barely 25 years after the fact, Mark puts pen to paper and documents what really is uh, history-altering life events in the life of Christ. And squeezed into three decades, God comes to visit humanity in Jesus Christ. And pressed into a very narrow uh, window of three short years is his public ministry. And so Mark records one of the busiest days of Jesus' life and ministry that's on record and it was a day that launched his public ministry started out in a synagogue or a church on a Sabbath day in Capernaum along with the, uh, the, along the northwest shores of the Sea of Galilee and it's into a, a midst of a flurry of incredible authoritative and miraculous activity that uh, Mark introduces this idea of peace and quiet into the ministry of Jesus Christ on the surface Jesus' pursuit of peace and quiet looks a bit like a coincidental uh, sequence of activities. It's just kind of there. But it's far more than that. Jesus' pursuit of his Father in peace and quiet is timely and precedent-setting. It's an important restorative interlude and a necessary spiritual discipline. So it grows out of a history of God using the wilderness as a training ground for his leaders like Moses and Elijah, David, and others, and future applications for apostles and leaders of the early church, uh, example, Paul going off into Arabia. But just as there are applications for us as well, as we move into 2024, and I love the promotion for reading through the Bible, you can incorporate that into your times of silence and listening to God. Peace and quiet, uh, that it would become a priority in the disciplines of silence and solitude for pursuing an ongoing relationship with God as we enter a brand new year. We can't keep going pedal to the metal without creating space for sacred spaces that allow us to draw into the presence of Almighty God. We have to pay attention to our gauges. And Jesus is about to change the world in three short years. If Jesus himself needed to take that time to be alone with his heavenly father, how much more do you and I? There's a lot going on in his world during the incubation period of the, the early church. And it's into this hectic pace of ministry that Jesus incorporates spaces for recovery. So Mark's gospel jumps right into the record of Jesus' public ministry. There's no record of Advent events related to the incarnation of Jesus Christ. He moves right into the role of John the Baptist promoting the coming of Jesus as the Messiah, the baptism of Jesus, that thundering voice that came from the heavens affirming Jesus in his public role. And then Jesus is sent by the Spirit into the wilderness for a period of time. And in that time of silence and solitude, spiritual warfare. And after that 40-day stint in the wilderness, John the Baptist put in prison, Jesus goes back to Galilee to begin his ministry, which in Included preaching the kingdom of God, calling at that time four of his disciples, and his first full day in full messianic mode there in the Sabbath synagogue. And so the ministry pace that Jesus sets is dizzying. And the need for peace and quiet, a huge priority. So I'm going to be reading from Mark chapter uh, 1. 
verses 21 to 35. And I'll be reading from the New International Version. Uh, for those of you, it's like shedding my time. Maybe I should have picked up the New Living Translation. But I'm going to read from the New International Version today and then make some comments about the passage of Scripture. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man uh, in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were also amazed. They asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority? He gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him? News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went to James and John, went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her uh, hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. But he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. The reading of God's word. May it minister encouragement, inspiration, direction, what we need as we open up our hearts to him today. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And we pray that each one of us will be challenged by it. Pursuing God in peace and quiet restores the exhausted spirit. Are you exhausted? Coming to the end of 2023 and moving into 2024, what is your disposition? What are you going to do in 2024 to make a precedent of pursuing peace and quiet? That 10 seconds that we enjoyed earlier. <laughs> uh, you know, are we going to find ourselves there? Furthermore, maybe we've uh, made that a discipline, but how are we doing with it? It's a good time to think about that, you know? Where's that spot in the house that I go to where if I'm going to read through the Bible, I'm going to park myself, make a discipline of being there and listen to the voice of God? Do I have a place in the house, maybe out in the shop in the the workshop, uh, somewhere where I can go and just find that place where I can be alone with the Lord. Uh, maybe there's somewhere close by. I can go over to Bud Miller Park or find a, a road allowance somewhere where I can just park and just tune in, maybe for an extended period of time. Have I built those kind of sacred spaces into my life? If I haven't, maybe this is the year where I could set that as a goal. Pursuing God in peace and quiet. And just knowing what he has for me. You know, early in my ministry, uh, while interning in my home church, my buddy, high school buddy, came up to me on the street one day, and he'd just come to the Lord. He just opened up his life to the Lord, and, and I'd come through four years of Bible college training, was back home in my hometown and doing my internship. He walks up to me and he says, what are you going to do differently? To, to continue to be genuine as you go into to ministry and serve the Lord. What are you going to do 
to remain genuine and not get caught up in the scandals. And there were all kinds of televangelist scandals of the day at that time. What are you going to do differently? I said to him at the time, I, th I think it has something to do with pursuing God on an ongoing basis in, in that quiet place and, and just finding those, those times to be alone with the Lord. That's, that was my response based on a mentor at, at my college that really helped me to see the value of, of drawing apart to be with the Lord. Well, I've come to Medicine Hat and serving the Lord there, and my friend who was on the street with me that day actually went into the ministry eventually, and he's in Medicine Hat. He was a chaplain, I was a chaplain in another village, and uh, since he's uh, taken up ministry in another church, but we meet quite regularly. And, uh, and I said to him the other day, you know, I'm more convinced than ever uh, of what happened in that conversation uh, when, he, when you asked me, and I reminded him, he'd kind of forgotten about it, and I reminded him of that conversation. I said, you know, the disciplines of silence and solitude are so important, pursuing God in peace and quiet, creating uh, sacred spaces in my life. And I'm going to, to, to go there this morning, as difficult as that might be. I think it comes out of the passage as a precedent today. And so pursuing God in peace and quiet restores the exhausted spirit, but how? First of all, I believe by paying attention uh, to God at, as our source of authority. After Jesus' baptism down south, somewhere around Jericho probably, he travels back north to Galilee to his stomping grounds, and he, along with Peter and Andrew, James and John, find themselves in the Capernaum synagogue, in church, uh, on the Sabbath. And being recognized as a rabbi, as a teacher, he begins to teach. And so the people are amazed at his teaching. He's not like their own boring teachers. And I can, I can read that into the text because at that time, you know, the Ten Commandments had become, become 613 laws that, that you know, their, their teachers were trying to help get everyone up to speed on. Jesus comes in with authority. And bottom line is he's saying, well, those ten become two. You know, if you love the Lord, your God, your neighbors, yourself. So he simplifies things. And, uh, and he comes into the synagogue that day and uh, teaches with great authority. And of course, the people are amazed. And, and Jesus is just getting into it. And I've heard Pastor Mike preach in here. He's a good preacher. But can you imagine? The preacher is just getting into it. And all of a sudden, there's an, an eruption in the pew. Somebody does a cartwheel, and, and there's a noise back there. And this guy is starting to challenge the speaker. Don't, don't do that if you're tempted today. Please just throw me right off. I wouldn't know where to go with it. But you can imagine Jesus in the synagogue that day, and this eruption happens, and, uh, and Jesus deals with the demon-possessed man, and uh, the situation is incredible, to put it mildly. Uh, the man shrieks and shakes, and violently the demon comes out of him, and what the demon has broadcast about Jesus being the Holy One of God is true, but the timing is an issue, the impure spirit is an issue, and Jesus deals with him. But look what verse 27 says. The people were so amazed. That word means startled, shocked, 
kind of blindsided. They were so amazed that they asked each other. In fact, the New International is kind of soft translation of what that means there. More like they debated. They argued with each other. What is this? A new teaching? And with authority? He gives order, orders to impure spirits and they obey him? It was an emotional, intense, new-to-them teaching dealing with uh, demons and, and the authority of what Jesus Christ had for them that day in an authoritative, new-to-them, bordering uh, on debate what erupted in, in that group that day. This was not normal for church. <laughs> this was not normal for the synagogue to hear teachers of the law go on and on, and they're pulling out their phones and start, okay, they didn't have phones, but they're starting to plan their week, and, and, and some of them are nodding off because they were on shift work and they're falling asleep. Make no mistake, Jesus was operating under God-given authority in the synagogue that day. And as I thought about that, I wondered how many of us are really tapping into the authority that God makes available to us in Christ by His Spirit. And maybe we're going to bed at night and, and we're already programming ourselves for the next day. Got a doctor's appointment to make, got to change the oil in the car, got to pull the old calendars down, got to pick the kids up from drama, you know, on and on it goes. And, and, and we're already, we don't have time to, to just slip into that sacred space just for a few moments as, as, as we just thank God for the day and, and maybe get his word into us as we fall asleep at night. Rather than turning to the one who can give us a good night's sleep and the authority to change our world and the worlds of others, uh, we, we just kind of prepare for the next day. And I wish that I could say and stand here before you and say that, you know, I live under that authority all the time. And in a sense, I do. But do I practice it all the time? You know, we were driving uh, uh, to, uh, it was a marble park in northeast Calgary where we, uh, we had our school uh, a community school there that was uh, where we were meeting in as a church and and, uh, and so get out of the car and we're walking up the wife and I and two young kids and we're going into the school and uh, this car pulls up behind us I remember it was a station wagon and I kind of heard the car but didn't think much about it we had a little sandwich board out on the street that said we were meeting in the school as a church and and but this car rolls up and this guy start rolls down the window starts shouting at us and I thought well what's going on? And he's, he's this guy full of the spirit or something else. And turn around and, and, and he's yelling at us. Doesn't sound like he's really a church going type of guy. And so I told the wife to, and the, to take the kids inside. And, and so I turned it and I walked back to his car and, I, and he's yelling obscenities at me as I put my hand right above his window on the car. And I started praying. In fact, I closed my eyes and I started to pray. Don't do that. I'm not recommending that. But that's what I did that day. And, and while he's yelling at me, I just said, Lord, this man seems to have some issues here. And I just went on with the prayer. The longer I prayed, the quieter he got. And eventually he stopped shouting. And I, I finished up my prayer. I greeted him. I said, have a nice day. And uh, he mumbled something under his breath, rolled up his window, and went away. Now, operating in the authority that God makes available to do something like that in, in, in an impulsive, and some of you would say kind of irresponsible way, <laughs> uh, sometimes the Lord prompts us, and, and we need to be tuned into him in such a way to know that kind of authority. 
uh, the, the, the whole town gathered at the door. That's an amazing thought. And we move on from uh, the authority that he makes available to us to paying attention to the situations that are right in front of us. And you can just see the town starting to move in his direction. As you can imagine, news about the, what went on in the synagogue that day spread quickly down the road to Tiberias, up into the hills, maybe even his home stomping grounds of Nazareth and Cana. Uh, news went all over the, the then-known area. And while news is traveling fast, James and John uh, end up going with Jesus to the home of Simon and Andrew. When they get there, of course, Simon's mother-in-law is in bed with a fever. And so they immediately tell Jesus, he's just dealt with this situation in church, and now he goes to get a little bit of a reprieve. And what happens, they immediately come to her. He doesn't even get inside. Uh, Peter's mom has, mother-in-law has, has a fever. <laughs> you know, I don't know if they were saying you might want to go somewhere else because she's got, you know, that disease <laughs> and, and just stay, steer clear. Uh, or, or whether they just wanted him to know because maybe a miracle would happen. And, of course, Jesus goes right in there. No song and dance, not even a prayer. He doesn't even pray. He just offers the hand. Up she comes. She's healed. Starts to serve them. They get sus some sustenance, no doubt, from it. And, uh, and, and, and then verse 33 says, The whole town ends up at their door. <laughs> and, and, and if you've been to the archaeological setting of where Capernaum is, and you see where the synagogue is, the town isn't really that big. The layout of the town that's there isn't that big. And so it's not hard to envision how the whole town could end up at their door. And that's where Jesus healed many who had various diseases in verse 33 and 34. It says he drove out many demons, but he wouldn't let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Now, I don't know that we can properly appreciate what went on that evening when Peter and Andrew's house becomes the emergency room for Capernaum. He's fueled by that early supper or late lunch and, and uh, takes on one case after the other. The deaf healed, you know, the blind healed, the lame healed, the demon possessed healed. They're all healed. The whole town is there uh, and his ministry of healing and even taking on those demonic and pure spirits into the probably we hours of the night. Son of God, yes. Son of man, as well. Exhausted, probably. Now, none of us have ever had a day like that. We've had hectic days, but none of us have, have had a day quite like that. In fact, we do well to ask ourselves about the nature of our busyness. You say, well, I've been busy, all right. But what kind of things am I busy with? Does it have any kind of eternal consequence? And the worst of our hectic days probably left us with a migraine, maybe an emotional crash and burn flaking out on the couch. But maybe there's a bigger question to be asked in all of it. What did we do about it? In my first pastorate, not far from here, in Castor, Alberta, I was 24 years old at the time. It was a very busy church, lots going on, a lot of people stuff, preparation for a midweek service that we had, preparation for two different services on Sunday. At the time, uh, the evening service came around, the young families with young kids, they didn't show up, but of course the pastor and his, his young wife and kids had to be there as a good examples, and so we were, of course, and, uh, and they're seated in an auditorium a lot like this, 
There were the faithful scattered throughout the auditorium. By the time Sunday afternoon came around, I would go back to my office, and I was honestly just flying by the seat of my pants by that time, pulling together what I was going to do for the Sunday evening service. And uh, people would come in, and my goal was to get them out of their seat, interacting with each other, and do something, anything, just to, to be able to do something real, something alive, something interactive, something that would build body life. And, and often those creative services were quite interesting. Sometimes they failed miserably and were a disaster. Um, we did some interesting things along the way, but one thing that I could be sure of, by the time Sunday night rolled around, I would have a migraine headache. My day off was Monday. I'd come crashing down on Monday. And I can tell you that I've learned a lot since then about managing adrenaline and stress. And a big part of that are found in the disciplines of pursuing God in the peace and quiet. Disciplines of silence and solitude. Pursuing God in peace and quiet restores the exhausted spirit. By paying attention to our source of authority and by paying attention to the situations right in front of us, I know some of you are very busy people. You've got a lot going on. But into, those, into that busyness, the, the spaces that you can create, whether you're driving from here to there or whether it's somewhere in the house, a little lull that's going on or in the office, get away from the screen, go for a little walk. Those kinds of times create sacred spaces and enter into those times and let God do what God does. He's not limited by time like we are, by the way. Uh, the third thing that I want to drive home before I exit the podium here is that we need to pay attention to the need for restoration. That comes through loud and clear. Now remember, Mark's record indicates that this is probably the very first day of Jesus' public ministry in the synagogue that day. The truth is, all of history is riding on the new covenant that he introduces that day in the synagogue. No wonder Satan had his opposing forces there. And it continues into the home of Peter and Andrew afterwards. The promotion of this new covenant, this history-altering event, eventually finds its way from Galilee down to Jerusalem and, and, uh, and to the temple courtyard there. All that it represented of a three-year window uh, right there in, the, in the, the synagogue in Capernaum that day. Very early in the morning, after all the intensity of this authoritative teaching in the synagogue, multiple healings, confrontations with demons. And what does Jesus do? Verse 35... Between probably 3 and 6 a.m., he gets up. While it's dark, goes off to a solitary place, and he prays. After Jesus' busiest day on record, he beats a retreat to the foot of his heavenly Father. He probably can't wait to sit in his presence. He's driven by his divine nature that desires intimacy with his Father. He's driven by his human nature, which desperately needed and would become dependent on those times alone with his heavenly Father in peace and in quiet. In fact, the, the Gospel of Luke in chapter 5, verse 16, makes the comment that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places where he prayed. What about you? As you're entering into 2024, do you have those 
lonely places. Not to be confused with loneliness, understand that, but aloneness, where we enter into those times that are designed to open up to our Heavenly Father. Do you have those places? Places of peace and quiet that nurture your spirit? Have you developed disciplines of silence and solitude? Where you plan times of rest and restoration somehow into your busy lives? And in my research project at Trinity Western Seminary, I looked at the value of, of solitude and spiritual renewal. And when I went into my supervisor's office and sat down, he looked at me and he said, so what are we going to do for your research project? And I, I said to him, well, I think I want to do something along the lines of, of uh, spiritual renewal through solitude. And he looked at me, kind of cocked his head to the side, and he said, what in the world? Why would you want to do a subject like that? <laughs> and I said, well, because it's in the Bible. You know where Jesus got up early in the morning, went to a solitary place where he prayed, and he has kind of sat back and looked at me. Well, I guess we better get at it. <laughs> and, and I did. And, and one of the things that came out of that project that was a bit of a surprise to me was uh, a survey that I did uh, with the blessing of the denominational leaders at one of our assemblies. I pulled, did the survey uh, with the leadership, de delegates, pastors, and so on, and, uh, and just to get a sense of what kind of disciplines at that time were in place. And I can tell you, uh, out of all of the group that was there, and that, it was, that did the survey, only one person had developed any extensive disciplines of silence and solitude for the sake of spiritual renewal. And by that I mean that a significant chunk. Um, my, my whole proposal was to set aside, if you're in leadership, uh, spiritual leadership, two retreats a year, not vacation time, but two retreats a year, three, four day retreats, just for the purpose of drawing into the presence of the Lord and getting close to him and refueled by him. And, and the pastor's sitting there, whoa, Amen. <laughs> and you, you, that, that was the pitch. Only one person had developed those kind of disciplines in the group that I had polled at that time. Now, since it's become a little bit more popular in terms of, of, of developing those kinds of disciplines, and thankfully that's a good move in a, in a right direction. But my question is, uh, have you been there? Have you gone down some of those roads and... Uh, incorporated some of that into your own life. Uh, every place that I've lived and ministered in, I immediately find myself drawn to those spaces. I find them. Uh, they're there everywhere, whether you're in the city or not. <laughs> For me in Medicine Hat, I have local parks, Kincooley, Strathcona Island Park, Echo Dale, uh, parks nearby. I have a road south of town that takes me to the barren wasteland, and, and most people see it as that. I see it as a great sanctuary of getting a alone with the Lord on black and white trails south of Medicine Hat. For here, it's Bud Miller Park for some of you. Uh, some of you, it's in the tractor out in the field. I don't know where it is. Uh, some of you commute in and out of town. Maybe it's Bud Miller. I don't know. But find those spaces in the house during the day, uh, during the week. Get that block of time. Would you take the challenge in 2024 to make it a resolution to determine to find sacred spaces and develop those spaces where you can be alone with the Lord. I love that whole read through the Bible thing. That's a great tool to use in maybe incorporating some of these ideas.
I'm going to wrap it up. I'm not sure uh, who's going to take it from here. I'll maybe pass it over to Pastor Mike and uh, leave that challenge with you. Thank you for allowing me to come and share on such a significant day as we anticipate moving into 2024.